0: Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I intended this audio to cover Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 24. Our context is this, in Romans 11, 1 through 10, Paul talked about the believing remnant of Israel. He went back to the Old Testament to give examples of how the mass of Israelites were hardened and idolaters and anti god but nonetheless, there was a remnant who believed, and he's trying to say that this remnant proves that God is still faithful to his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we should not listen to critics of Christianity or of Paul who say that, see, there, God's promises don't mean anything. They don't last. They didn't come to fruition. So, this is our context. He's talking about all how the mass of Israelites have stumbled, leaving only a believing remnant. So we start in verse 11. And by the way, the title of this section, Romans, 11 through, Romans 11, 11 through verse 24, I have called it this, the Gentiles are grafted in. So in other words, verses 1 through 10 are about how the mass of Jews have fallen away from the kingdom and rejected God, leaving only a remnant, and now we're going to talk about how the mass of Gentiles are grafted into the kingdom. So in verses 1 through 10, we have a remnant of Jews believing, and now in chapters 11 through 24, we have a bunch of Gentiles believing. Notice that the numerical superiority right now is with the Gentiles over the Jews. So we start in Romans 11, verse 11. I ask then, have they stumbled in order to fall? Have they, the Jews, stumbled, not believed, transgressed, as the NIV puts it? Have they transgressed or stumbled, fallen away from God in order to, in order to fall? In other words, in order to fall permanently so that none of them will ever come back into the kingdom? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their stumbling, by their lack of belief, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. So what's happened? The Jews have rejected Christ, so the gospel has now gone out to the Gentiles as Paul, when he gets rejected by the Jews in the Jewish synagogues, he goes out and preaches to the Gentiles. When the Jews persecuted the Christians in Acts 8, all the the Jewish believers in Jerusalem went out and preached all over the place. And we already see in Acts that some of the, the Gentiles were being preached to even that early. And so Gentiles got salvation. Of course, the story of Peter goes to Cornelius' house and preaches to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. So the Gentiles are getting preached to everywhere because of Israel's unbelief. And what does that do? That's going to make Israel jealous, because then Israel's going to look at all those Gentile Christians and say, oh, look, they have peace, righteousness, holiness, and we don't have anything but condemnation and death because of the law. Maybe I want to think about becoming a Christian. So this, Paul is basically using a Romans eight twenty eight argument here. Look, all things work together for good for God. It's not good that the Jews have rejected Christ, but look at the good that's coming from it, because they have rejected Christ. Now Jewish evangelists have gone out into the Gentile world, and now lots of Gentiles are coming in. And still even more goods going to come from that because then those Gentiles are going to make the Jews, the non-believing Jews, jealous. And then they're going to start coming in at some point, at least some of them. Now, this idea of making Israel jealous, the Gentiles believing, making Israel jealous, we have to understand that jealous is jealous in a good sense. Just for example, I, I am jealous of your ability to hit a baseball. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm envious. I admire you, in other words. Romans eleven fourteen, Paul says this a few verses later, three verses later. He says, if I can somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. Romans ten nineteen, he says, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you Jews jealous of those who are not a nation, i.e., the Gentiles. I will make you angry about a nation that lacks understanding. So this idea of the Jews making the Gentiles jealous because of God's favor on the Gentiles. That was all the way back in Moses' time, in Deuteronomy. Let's read that. Deuteronomy 32:21. "They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation." In other words, I'm going to the Gentiles, and that's in the Hebrew scriptures. It's a good thing Paul knew those Hebrew scriptures were so good. Now, I mentioned this already. I'll say it again for emphasis. I asked then, have they stumbled in order to fall? What Paul is saying is, look, some of you might think the Jews are finished completely. And he's going to get ready to, he's going to, get ready to give a little speech to the Gentiles and say, you've got to respect your Jew, the Jews. Don't you start thinking that just because the, the, the majority of the church now is Gentile believers that God's given up on the Jews forever. You can forget that right now. So this idea is, no, they didn't stumble in order to fall permanently because there was a remnant saved. If they had totally fallen, they would have become extinct as a race, as many other tribes have, Canaanites, Hittites, Philistines. As Steve Ackerson says, there is no race as indestructible as the Jews. And I remember one time a friend of mine, a Christian friend of mine, was a termite inspector, and he went into a Jewish lady's house to fumigate her house for termites, and he found a whole bunch of books that the lady didn't want. She was Jewish. And it was Histories of the Jewish Nation, not written by Christians, but written by either secular historians or Jewish historians. So I read about three or four of those books, and I remember thinking, why does the world hate the Jews so much? Everybody in all times hate the Jews, and the Jews always survive. It was It was really one of the most intellectual awakenings I had reading those books from some Jewish lady's house. So the Jews physically aren't going to fail which means that they're going to be Jews around in order to believe in the gospel and, and and be grafted back into the kingdom. Praise the Lord for it. Now we even see this jealousy of the Jews even on Paul's missionary journey. Here's in in the in Acts chapter 13 verses 45 through 46. This is at Pisidian Antioch on the first journey. Paul Luke says this in Luke in Acts 13 verses 45 through 46. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, it was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. And there's a classic case of the Jews rejecting because of the hardness of their heart and then the Gentiles, redounding to the Gentiles' benefits. In fact, the word jealous is even used in that passage right there in Acts chapter 13. It says, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. We turn now to Romans 11 verse 12. Now, if there, the Jews, stumbling brings riches for the world, that would be the Gentiles. So if the Jews stumbling brings riches for the Gentile world and their failure, the Jews failure to believe in God, if their failure brings riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full number bring? In other words, if it's just a little remnant, if the mass of Jews stumble and don't believe, and look and look at all the good that God got out of that by getting all the Gentiles saved, think about how much more glory there's going to be in the world, how much more riches for the world there will be when that remnant turns into the full number of Jews that God has planned to get saved. When the remnant expands, multiplies into the full number, that means that now not only we're going to have a lot of Gentiles believing, we're going to have a lot of Jews that believe. I already mentioned the incident on the first journey at Pisidian Antioch, how the Jews rejected and and the Gentiles got preached to because of that. There's another example in Acts 18.6 I could have quoted. This is Paul on the second missionary journey in Corinth. But when they, the Corinthian Jews, resisted and blasphemed, he shook his robe and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Another example of the Jews stumbling bringing riches to the Gentiles. As John Gill puts it, this handful of men that went out of Judea were the means of converting vast numbers, large multitudes of souls among the Gentiles. That was the remnant, the small remnant of Jews brought a lot of Gentiles in. And of course, that small remnant went out from Jerusalem, Acts chapter 8, because of the persecution and unbelief and the stumbling of the vast majority of the Jewish nation. Now that riches, let me read this verse again. Now, if their stumbling brings riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full number bring? How much more riches for whom? For the world or for the Gentiles? How much more riches will be brought by the full number of Jews coming in? But are those riches for the world or for the Gentiles in particular? Well, in my humble opinion, since the world stands for Gentiles, the world there is not referring to the whole world but to the Gentile world, and therefore the coming in of the Jews will bless the whole Gentile world, not just the, not the world including Jews and Gentiles, but the Gentile world will be blessed by the full number of Jews coming in. And that would fit in with the with the whole aim of Paul here, which is to chastise the Gentiles for them being critical towards the Jews. And he's saying, look, you Gentiles, you in the Gentile world, you're going to be blessed when the full number of Jews come in, so don't start looking down on them. So Don't start looking down on the Jews. All right, so Paul mentions in Romans eleven twelve the full number, the full number of the Jews. And that's all he says. He says, how much more would their full number bring? Or the NIV puts it, their fullness bring. Well, this means the salvation of Israel, whatever that means. Now, in our next audio, we'll get into that deep, thorny theological question, all Israel, is that all Israel nationally, all Israel individually, and so forth, but Let's just look at this full number uh, idea here in Romans 11:25 through 27 without getting into too much detail. So that you will not be conceited, brothers. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. That's the full number of the Gentiles. Here in Romans 11:12 we have the full number of the Jews. So obviously Paul's got this idea that the elect has a certain number of predetermined people in it predetermined by God, and when that elect number is filled up, that's going to be the end of salvation history. Now, as a precursor to the great theological argument about what does this mean all Israel will be saved, what does full number mean? Here's option number one. A large-scale conversion of Jews just prior to the second coming. Now, this is an option that I have been presented with all my life. I was raised a dispensationalist, and of course dispensationalists love to talk about all those Jews coming in so they can they can make up the re-instituted, reconstituted nation of Israel. So option number one is a full number means the full number of a Jewish nation is filled up, referring to a large-scale conversion of Jews. However, in my opinion, option number two is the best option. This is the full number of the Jewish believing remnant, which was previously mentioned by Paul in verse 5. We've got to go by the context here, Romans eleven five. In the same way, then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. At the present time means when Paul was writing, not in the end of the world, not in the future, not in 1948. But in the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And that remnant, is going to be filled up at a certain time. In my humble opinion, that's the that's the full number. That's what the full number refers to. That's what Paul is referring to when he says full number. He means when the remnant is complete. We go to Romans 11, verses 13 through 14. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, or, or we can punctuate it like this. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. So Paul now switches from speaking to the Romans in general He's now speaking to the Gentiles. Now, Paul switches from Jews to Gentiles as he goes through this letter. So the relationship of Jews and Gentiles is very important to Paul in this letter. Romans 1.13, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as among the rest of the Gentiles. So when he says the rest of the Gentiles, he's talking. it means he's talking to the Roman Gentiles, as apart from the rest of the Gentiles. And romans two seventeen he says, "Now, if you call yourself a Jew, well, now he's talking to the Jews and rest of the law boasting God, and so forth. Of course, we know that the church at Rome consisted of both converted Jews and Gentiles. Most of Paul's letters were written to Gentile Christians, interestingly enough, but this particular book had this particular audience that Paul wrote to had a lot of Jewish believers in here too, but now he specifically specifically says in verse." 13 of Romans 11 he's going to be speaking to the Gentiles. In view of the fact that I am an apostle to the Gentiles I magnify my ministry. If I could somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them that's how he magnifies his ministry. Now he says in view of the fact that I am an apostle to the Gentiles. The scripture clearly says this Romans 1 5 we have received grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations or among all the Gentiles on behalf of his name. Paul starts out by saying he's the apostle of the of the Gentiles in his address and his salutation to the Roman Christians. Acts 9:15. But the Lord said to him, Go, talking to Ananias, to go talk to Paul who had just been blinded by the, his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Go, for this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings and, and the Israelites. But Gentiles is mentioned first. Ananias, God, Jesus told Ananias, this is apostle to the Gentiles. Galatians 1.16, to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. This is probably referring to the Damascus Road conversion when Jesus revealed to Paul to preach to the Gentiles. Galatians 2.7, on the contrary, they, this is Peter, James, and John, the pillar apostles in Jerusalem, saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. So, you see, already the early apostles sort of had their territories marked out. Peter was going main, to mainly aim at the Jews, although he did preach to the Gentiles at are going to use this house. And Paul was mainly going to preach to the Gentiles, although he did preach to Jews too in the synagogues. This Galatians 2 7 occurred on Paul's trip to Jerusalem 14 years after Paul had sojourned in Damascus and in Arabia and in, 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 in the Arabian desert right after his conversion. Galatians 9, two verses later, when James, Cephas, and John recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they made a plan there. Division of labor. James, Peter, and John go to the Jews, unbelieving Jews, and Paul and Barnabas go to the unbelieving Gentiles. Paul said that, he wants to. He says, I magnify my ministry. How? If I can somehow make my own people jealous and save some of them. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm mainly going to the Gentiles, but that doesn't mean I leave the Jews out. If I can save some of those Jews, my own people, the Jews, then that makes my ministry to the Gentiles even better, even bigger, more magnified. By converting Gentiles, he was increasing the chance that Jews would come in because, after all, more Gentiles, more jealousy. More jealousy, more Jewish conversions. So it would appear that the best way to evangelize Jews is to evangelize Gentiles. Notice that he says he magnified his ministry. He does not magnify himself. Every gospel minister has to be humble. That's the first thing that a gospel minister needs to learn, to be humble. Now, notice Paul says that he wants to somehow save some of them in verse 14 in Romans 11. Save some of them. He doesn't say save all of them. He knows he can't save all of the Jews anymore. He can save all the Gentiles. What is the timing that he's thinking about here? Save some of them when? Save some of the Jews when? Just before the second coming? No. That's one option. It's during Paul's day if I can somehow make. This is what he says in verse 14, if I can somehow make, present tense, my own people and save some of them. He's talking about saving some of his own people at his day, at the current time that Paul was writing, not at the end of the world. Paul is in the process right then of trying to make the Jews jealous, not at the end of the world. It was during his time, not before the second coming. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles then, not just before the second coming. Now, that doesn't mean that the evangelism of the Jews stopped at Paul's time. As Hendrickson, the great commentator, says, When Paul, what Paul has started back in his time has presumably been happening for 2,000 years as some of the Jews come in. When he says that I might save some, as I mentioned, Paul is not expecting all the Jews to get saved. He's not even necessarily believing that a lot of Jews were going to get saved. Some is sort of ambiguous. But some are going to come in. Only God knows how many. Romans 11:15. For if their rejection, that means the Jews' rejection of God, if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world, that means reconciliation to the Gentile world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, rejection is a little bit ambiguous. It could mean God's partial rejection of Israel brings reconciliation to the world, or it could mean Israel's rejection of Christ. I tend to take it to me. Well, the NIV Study Bible says it's God's rejection of Israel, for if their rejection brings reconciliation to the world. NIV Study Bible and Gil say that, or it could be Israel's rejection of Christ, for if their rejection of Christ. I tend to think that's what it means. But at any rate, whoever rejects whom, they're rejected, and the result was reconciliation to the world, because when Jews don't believe, Gentiles were given the opportunity to believe, as I've already stated to great effect earlier. Also, acceptance is a little bit ambiguous, too. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Does that mean God's acceptance of the Jews, or does it mean the Jews' acceptance of God? Well, I don't think it really matters. The point is, is that when they get saved, it's going to be life from the dead. Well, now, what does it mean, life from the dead? Well, here are some options. His NIV study Bible suggests one. It's referring to what Paul said in Romans 11:12. 12. Now, if their stumbling brings riches to the world... So what he's saying is, is that life from the dead means riches for the world. And according to the NIV Study Bible, what does riches for the world mean? Greater riches for the Gentiles. In Romans eleven twelve, Paul says, If their stumbling brings riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full number bring? So this more riches is what life from the dead is according to this view when Paul says their acceptance will mean life from the dead in verse 15 of Romans 11. Well, what kind of greater riches for the world, greater riches for the Gentiles? What kind of greater riches could the acceptance of the Jews bring? Well, it could mean an unprecedented spiritual awakening in the world. NIV Study Bible says this is unlikely because the fullness of the Gentiles already will have hap- happened. Romans 11:25. so that you will not be conceited. Brothers, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to the Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. So you see a, there's a time reference there. A big number of Israels come in, and then you have the partial hardening of Israel over. And by the way, that's where the idea of a whole bunch of Jews getting saved at the end of time comes in. So that's probably not what the life from the dead sp- means. Spiritual riches for uh, to the Gentiles because of a great conversion of the Jews at the end of the world. So another idea of what these greater riches for the Gentiles are as applied to the resurrection of the dead, life from the dead for, uh, that Paul mentions in verse 15, some people say, as the NIV Study Bible says, that life from the dead means the consummation of redemption at the resurrection of the dead. In other words, life from the dead is physical resurrection at the end of the world. The NIV Study Bible says this is unlikely because there is no mention anywhere of resurrection of the dead, and I agree thoroughly. In fact, I don't think this life from the dead that Paul is talking about in Romans eleven fifteen is talking about Spiritual, more spiritual riches for the Gentiles, referring back to 11 verse 12. I don't believe that. I believe that it's very simple, that the expression life from the dead is a figurative expression for the conversion of the Jews. So if we read verse 15, for if there the Jews' rejection brings reconciliation to the world, the Gentiles, what will their acceptance mean? What will their belief mean? But their life from the dead spiritually, they're born again. They're alive now. They're not dead anymore. They're converted. Who takes that view? Then The NIV studied Bible, Steve Ackerson, John Gill, Adam Clark, JFB, and yours truly. Because life from the dead for the Jews, their conversion is a glorious event, just like the resurrection of the dead. Now notice here that Paul is still hammering away at his theme that God's promises to Israel have not failed, as I mentioned all through chapter 10 and verse 11, chapter 11 also. The Jews aren't going to be left behind. We go to verse 16, Romans 11. Now if the first fruits offered up are holy... So is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, Paul uses two metaphors here to make a point. Let's start with the first metaphor. If the first fruits offered up are holy, well, it's not clear. People disagree on exactly what the first fruits refer to. Here's some options the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Adam Clark and Alfred Barnes mentioned that. Uh, Steve Atkinson mentions one of the patriarchs, Abraham. Another possibility if the first fruits, or holy that could refer to the first Jewish converts to Christianity. Steve Atkins and Adam Clark mentioned that. Alfred Barnes denies that. Or it could mean Christ himself is the first fruits of those raised from the dead. Well, whatever the first fruits are, Paul's point is this the rest of the believing remnant are holy just like the first fruits. That's assuming that the whole batch refers to the rest of the believing remnant, and that's controverted also. Well, let's say that the whole batch doesn't refer to the converted remnant, but refers to the whole nation of Israel, unconverted and converted. Well, then Paul would be saying this, look, the first Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're holy, they were chosen by God, so the whole batch is holy, which means all of Israel is subject to getting saved. Doesn't mean they're all saved, now obviously that can't be, but they are subject to getting saved, they can get saved, they're not totally rejected, and some of them are going to come in later. All right, then, let's look at the two options for batch, this holy batch. What is Paul talking about, the whole batch being holy? Option number one is the Jewish people. Paul, remember, is speaking to the Jewish, to the Gentiles in Rome in verse 15, and so he's trying to assure them, look, the current unbelief of the Jews does not mean the Jews are totally rejected. Paul is warning the Gentile community here not to write off the Jews just because some did not believe, especially because of what he had said. All the way, he had said a lot in the previous chapters about unbelieving Israel. And and it would be real easy for people to say, Yeah, yeah, well, you know, God doesn't like Israel anymore. He doesn't care about the Jews anymore. And Paul's saying, Don't get that wrong idea. The batch is still holy. They're still loved by God. And even though they're in a state of rejection right now, at one time, sometime in the future, some of them are going to come in. I tend to think that's what Paul's talking about. The other option is is the, the whole holy batch is the believing remnant of Jews. So if the first fruits, and that would be probably Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, offered up, are holy. If the patriarchs are holy, after all, they believe by faith. So is the whole batch. So is all the remnant of the believing Jews. They're saved, too, by faith. Now, if that option is true, then that means that Paul is trying to get Gentile believers in the Roman church to accept believing Jewish brethren. And there's no indication that I know of that there was any trouble between the Gentiles and the Jewish brethren in the Roman church. So I tend to not believe that, that well, that's what the whole holy batch is, the believing remnant of Jews. I think that it's the Jewish people. So let me say this again. Now, if the first fruits of the Jewish nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, offered up are holy, so is the whole batch of the Jewish nation, including the Jews today. They're holy. Now, again, what does holy mean? It does not mean that all the Jews are going to be saved. Obviously, all Jews are not going to be saved. What does holy mean? It means that God will be faithful concerning his promises to the Jews, And the NIV Study Bible says. As Paul says in Romans 3, verses 3 through 4, What then, if some did not believe, will their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. God must be true even if everyone is a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. So, their unbelief does not cancel God's faithfulness because they're still holy. That doesn't mean they're saved, but they can get saved. God is not going to cancel the faithfulness to his covenant promises. All right, so the first metaphor he used, uses to show that the Jews are worthy, holy, is the first fruit option. And what uh, metaphor? Now, I haven't mentioned where that comes from. It comes from the Old Testament law, Numbers 15, verses 17 through 21. The Lord instructed Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them after you enter the land where I am bringing you, you are to offer a contribution to the Lord when you eat from the food of the land. You are to offer a loaf from your first batch of dough as a contribution. Offer it just like a contribution from the threshing floor. Throughout your generations you are to give the Lord a contribution from the first batch of your dough. So this is a dough offering, if you will. The Israelites had to make dough and and they would take some of the dough and, and offer it to the priest and they would eat the rest of the bread. Until this was done, it was not lawful to partake of the harvest. The offering of this dough was regarded as rendering the whole mass holy. That is, it was then lawful then to partake of it. So that's what holy meant in the Old Testament law. You could eat the rest of your bread after you offer the first lump of dough to the priest. And they had to do the same thing with grain. The first, they had the wave offering for the grain offering. And then they also had to do it with lamb, for the flock too, the first fruit of the flock. That was a common Jewish practice in the Levitical law. And the idea is once you offer that first root, then the rest of the flock or the grain or the dough is ready to eat. Now, Paul also uses another metaphor to show that the Jews are still accepted in his day. He says at the end of verse 16, if the root is holy, so are the branches. And here he's probably referring to the root of Israel, which is the patriarchs. If it was holy, obviously it was. God chose the patriarchs, they believe by faith. Abraham believed by faith. So are the branches. That doesn't mean they believe, but they are loved by God and are eligible for salvation. They're not totally rejected. If you think about it, what good is a tree if you have a root of a tree without its branches is nothing but a stump. But if you got a good root, a good stump, then it's going to grow good branches. And so, hey, don't cut those branches off, Gentiles. We go to verse 17 of Romans 11. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, that would be referring to the non believing Jews. Who were broken off. Broken off of what? Well, Paul is going to use a metaphor of a tree here, and I'm telling you, I've driven myself crazy about this wild olive tree business. The easiest way to handle this is the tree represents the believing kingdom of God, believers in the kingdom of God. It does not refer to Israel as an unbelieving nation, it does not refer to the Gentiles, obviously. It refers to believers who are in the kingdom of God. So we go to verse 17 here in Romans 11. If some of the branches were broken off, that means some of the non-believing Jews who don't believe, and so therefore they're, they're broken off. That's the metaphor. It means they're, they're not in the kingdom anymore. And you, though a wild olive branch, they're talking about you Gentiles, because remember, he's talking to the Gentiles, verse 15. You, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. The rich root of the cultivated olive tree would be the faith of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people of God, the kingdom of God. And you are now spiritual Israel. You are grafted into this kingdom. And so now you are a child of Abraham. And so you're participating. You're sharing in that rich root of Abraham's faith as you are in this olive tree, Which is, excuse me, as as you are in the cultivated olive tree which means the kingdom of god and you're grafted in among them now the only thing that's a little bit puzzling about this metaphor to me is when paul says you're grafted in among them that's among the branches that were broken off i think the idea is the branches are broken off and then the believing jews were grafted in in the place where the those broken off branches used to be it's the only way it makes sense to me because how can they be grafted? how can believing gentiles be grafted into the kingdom of god with unbelieving jews that makes no sense so they are grafted into the kingdom, and of course, a lot of those Jewish branches are broken off. They're not in the wild olive. They're not in the cultivated olive tree anymore. Cultivated olive tree, remember, that's the kingdom of God. Believe believers, whether Jew or Gentile. Wild olive tree refers to Gentile believers. Now, these branches that were broken off, they have to be individual Jews who don't believe in Jesus. They have to be individual Jews, as the NIV Study Bible says. Jews who don't believe in Jesus, as John Gill says, obviously. It can't be the Jewish nation. They still existed as a nation when Paul was speaking. Paul wrote Romans before eighty seventy, That's when they ceased being a nation. But Paul was writing before then, in the early 50s. So, it's talking about individual believers here. And all the way through the book of Romans, the whole idea is individual belief. Individual belief. I, I emphasize that because... Armenians love to say, oh, it's talking about the rejection of Israel as a nation. Therefore, God doesn't really select or elect individuals. No, all this is about individuals, individual Jews, Romans 3, 3. What then if some did not believe? That's not talking about a nation. That's talking about individual Jews. Will their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness? Paul says in Romans 3, 3. If some did not believe, he's talking about individual Jews not believing. That's what it means when he says branches were broken off. Now you notice that some of the branches were broken off. That means that some Jews did believe in Jesus. Not all Jews refused belief in Jesus. Some did believe in Jesus because only some of the branches were broken off. Now this is interesting here. The wild olive branch, the Gentiles were grafted into the cultivated olive tree where the Jewish believers used to be before they were broken off. This is exactly backwards from horticultural practice. The usual procedure was to insert a shoot of a cultivated tree into a wild tree. But here, the opposite is done. The wild shoot, or branch, is grafted back into the cultivated tree, which is exactly backwards. And because it's backwards, this is unnatural. And Paul's going to make a point of that when we get to verse 24. I'll read it in advance here. Paul says, For if you were cut off from your native wild olive tree talking about you gentiles and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree it's against nature you didn't deserve to be there gentiles you didn't deserve to be there in this cultivated olive tree the kingdom of god which has jewish roots the jewish stump jewish jewish stump they got the whole thing started you didn't deserve to be there it was against nature to put you there and god did it that's that shows his grace and then he says in Romans 11:24, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree when they believe they could get grafted back in? That's natural because they're Jews and the whole kingdom of God has Jewish roots. So you Gentiles aren't, you have special, it's been a lot, God has given you a lot of grace to allow you to be grafted back into a Jewish tree. So you better quit looking down on Jews and saying, because there's not a very many of them that believe, therefore we can just be anti-Semitic. We can just say, to heck with the Jews, they rejected, they killed Jesus, and to heck with the the Jews, because they're they're opposed to us Gentile Christians. No, you better forget that. Okay, let's read the end of verse 17. Well, let me read verse 17 again. Now, some of the branches were broken off, that's the unbelieving Jews, and you, the Gentiles, the way wild olive branch were, grafted in among them, and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. Grafted in means you are now in the believing kingdom of God, with all your other fellow Jewish believers and you share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, that means all the Old Testament promises that were fulfilled, and laws which were fulfilled in the Old Te- in the New Testament. You get to participate in that. We go now to Romans eleven eighteen. Do not brag, again Paul is talking to the Gentiles, do not brag that you are better than those branches, than those Jews that were broken off in unbelief. Don't brag that you're better, that you Gentiles are better than the Jews. But if you do brag, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. And now he doesn't want him to brag, but if you're going to be so stupid and contrary to my wishes, if you do brag, you don't. Just think about this, Gentiles. The root's holding you up, the root sustains you. You ain't holding the root up. You're just a branch. The Jews had a root, the patriarchs, and you didn't. And so that means a lot to God. Even though the Jews are rejecting me individually, and even though they killed my Messiah, and even though they killed Jesus and persecuted all the prophets, and now they're persecuting the apostles, just like Jesus predicted in all of that discourse and so forth. Even though all that stuff has happened, even though the Jews have persecuted Paul in his missionary journeys, even though that root sustains Paul and all the, well, it sustains all the Gentile converts that Paul has gotten. So be humble, boys. The Gentile believers would not be Christians were it not for the faith of the Jews, more particularly the patriarchs. If it wasn't for the Jewish patriarchs, then there would be no Gentile believer on this earth. The NIV Study Bible points out. Here's some examples in history where so-called, quote-unquote, Christians forgot their Jewish roots. How about parts of the Protestant church in Nazi Germany? A lot of them says, well, we're just going to have to assimilate with, we're just going to have to put up with Adolf Hitler and all of his his Aryan white supremacy crap. We're going to have to put up with that because we don't want to lose our churches, our church buildings. I don't know the history of that too much, but I... You know, there was a a section of the church which refused to buckle down to Hitler, the Barman Declaration, I think it was called. But a lot of the Protestant church had become culturally accommodated. And then when the anti-Semitism got going, they forgot that it wasn't for that Jewish root. Those Protestant Christians in Nazi Germany wouldn't even exist except for the Jewish root. How about medieval Catholic Christianity? How much anti-Semitism, notorious anti-Semitism. They killed Jesus. They put him on the cross. They forget it was that wicked generation of Jews that put Jesus on the cross, not all the generation of Jews that came after that wicked generation, they forgot that, they forgot the Jewish roots, and pretty soon, the Jews are evil. How about the so-called Christians of the anti-Semitic white supremacist groups? People like the Ku Klux Klan that talk about their godliness, and the identity Christians, white supremacists. Nonsense. We've got to remember, there's no excuse to be anti-Semitic against Jews because of the reason that Jews killed Jesus on the cross. I'm, if you want to complain about the state of Israel about Netanyahu's policy or something like that, I don't think that's not anti-Semitic. Of course, that's anti-Israel. That's politics. But if you want to get down on a Jew because his ancestors killed Jesus, that is anti-Semitism in its purest form, and it should be condemned with a great deal of vitriol. We go now to Romans nineteen, twenty, and twenty-one in Romans eleven. Then you will say, you Gentiles, Paul continues, then you Gentiles will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. In other words, well, yeah, they were broken off to make room for me. There's not enough room in the cultivated olive tree, the kingdom of God, of believers, that community of believers that make up the kingdom. Not enough room for Jews and Gentiles. So those Jews had to get broken off to make room for us Gentiles. That's nonsense. Paul is now going to point out why that, Reasoning is specious. Verse 20. True enough, they were broken off by unbelief, but you stand by faith. Now, this is a little bit obscure. They were broken off by unbelief, but you stand by faith. In other words, you Gentiles didn't get grafted in because of any great works that you did or because you were special, because God loved you more. You had to believe to get in, not by your works, not by what you did, but you just had to believe in what Jesus did for you, which takes a lot of humility. And Notice that the reason that the Jews got broken off was because they didn't believe, because they're unbelief. So what matters about how you get into this cultivated olive tree till you get into the kingdom of God is whether you believe or don't believe, not whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. The other implication of this is, well, now you believe, you Gentiles believe, you get in by faith. What happens if you don't have faith? What happens if you unbelieve just like the Jewish people unbelieve? Guess what's going to happen to you Gentiles that don't believe? You're going to get broken off too. Because you ain't any better than the Jews that got broken off by unbelief. Now, when I say you will be broken off, I'm not, he's not, I'm not talking about Jewish Gentiles. Paul was not talking about Jewish uh, 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 Gentile Christians in Rome. Obviously, they're not going to get broken off because they would lose their salvation. We know you can't do that. But what he's talking about is Gentiles in general, if they don't believe in Christ, they're going to get broken off. They're not going to come in, just like the Jews. If they don't believe in Christ, they're not going to come in to the cultivated olive tree. And so then Paul says, do not be arrogant, but be afraid. <laughs> no, afraid shows a little bit of humility, a little bit of reverence. Again, that word fear can be fear like you fear a coyote coming to get you. Or it could be fear as in reverence, God. I have the feeling here, it's talking about you need to be a little bit afraid like the coyotes coming. You better be afraid of your attitude. Well, I mean, look what Paul says in verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the Jews, he will not spare you Gentiles either if you don't believe. Now, of course, he's referring, he's talking to believing Gentiles in the Roman church, but he's referring to all Gentiles who don't believe. Let's read some stuff about fear, the fear of God. Genesis 20:11. Abraham replied, I thought there's absolutely no fear, absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. That was one of the two incidents where he had to make Sarah's concubine, Gerar, Egypt. I think it was Egypt this time. Proverbs 3.7, don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Philippians 2.12-13, so then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear, that means reverence God. Don't call him daddy. Don't say, oh my God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Reverence God. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. 1 Peter 1.17, And if you address as Father the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence, during the time of your stay here on this earth. Conduct yourself in fear. How many times have you heard a Bible study on that? Conduct yourself in fear, my precious brethren. Be afraid of what it means to disobey God. I don't mean you live in cowering subjection to a tyrannical God who whips you with lashes. Of course not. You have confident access into the throne room of God. As long as you as you have a confident, loving relationship with your father and with your adopted brother, Jesus Christ, you've got nothing to to fear for that reason. But it means that you respect and you reverence him and you don't want to displease him. That, that's, a, that's a hard distinction to make, and it's important that we make it. And I think people go too far on one extreme. On, on one extreme, you have, God's going to get you for that old country song I used to, I remember hearing a couple of decades ago, God's going to get you for that <laughs> legalistic type of stuff. And then the other hand is the modern millennial type Christianity with, you know, the preacher up in his peg leg, blue jeans and his, and his T-shirt gets up and preaches to the crowd and says, oh, your daddy wants to give you a present. All right, Paul in verse 21 is using an a fortiori argument. He says if God did not spare the natural branches, he didn't because when they unbelief, he broke them off. He didn't spare them. He's not going to spare you Gentiles either. You don't believe, he's going to break you off too. It does not mean you're going to lose your salvation, but if you're a Gentile that doesn't believe, you're not going to get broken, put, put into the kingdom, and if you're a hypocrite who thinks she's grafted into the kingdom, you're going to get taken out just like the unbelieving Jews did. So here's the argument. If... God doesn't spare the natural branches who have all the spiritual advantages but don't believe, i.e. the Jews. He certainly isn't going to spare wild branches who are latecomers to the kingdom and don't believe. Romans 11, verse 22. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you if you remain in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So here we have the kindness and severity of God being mentioned by Paul. Now, there's two extremes here. This goes to what I just said about two extremes. If we ignore the kindness of God, God becomes a ruthless tyrant. But if we ignore the severity of God and don't fear him, then God becomes a doting grandpapa up on the sofa up in the sky throwing out lollipops to his adoring little baby grandchildren. You need to avoid those two extremes. Now, those who have fallen, those unbelieving Jews who have not believed in God, they are facing the severity of God, His wrath. But uh, those of you Gentiles who have believed, then you will cons- you, you need to consider how God has been kind towards you, God's kindness towards you. If you remain in His kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And again, that's talking about in general the Gentiles in general. If you don't believe, you're not going, you're going to get cut off. It does not mean you're going to lose your salvation. Now, being cut off. That might be a good word for so-called Gentile Christians, and I'll put that word Christians in air quotes, the people who go to church and think they're so righteous and holy. Gentile Christians in the United States of Sodom and Gomorrah in Europe should consider this. There is a God who has a severe aspect to his character, and you keep trampling on his holiness, there's going to be hell to pay sooner or later. Temporal hell or eternal hell, but there's going to be hell to pay because of righteous and offended God is going to reestablish his holiness. Romans eleven twenty three. And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in. That's talking about the the Gentiles. If they do not remain in unbelief. Again, the idea they're 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 if they claim to be grafted into the cultivated olive tree, but they don't believe, then they're taken out. But if they do not remain in their unbelief, if they get saved, in other words, they're grafted back in, back into the kingdom of God. Remember the cultivated olive tree, consisting of both believing Jew, branches of believing Jews and branches of believing Gentiles, if a Gentile believes he's grafted back into that tree and he becomes part of the kingdom of God. And I, excuse me, the Jews here, if they do not remain in unbelief, it's referring to the Jews who do not remain in unbelief, not the Gentiles. They will be grafted in because God has the power to graft them in again. Now, notice that, God has, that Paul has to appeal to God's power to get these unbelieving Jews back in because they're a tough nut to crack. Paul has to appeal to God's power which shows what a monumentally difficult task it is to convert Jews, as Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown says. And that's probably true, but hey, it doesn't matter. Some of them are going to believe. God's got the power to graft them in again. It's not our evangelistic techniques to get them saved anyway. It's God's power to get, graft them back into the, into the kingdom of God, which consists both of Jews and Gentiles, but which has a root in the Jewish patriarchs. And again, Paul's whole purpose here is saying, look, Gentiles, don't give up on these Jews, these Jews. Don't you look down on them. God has the power to graft them in again. I know it might be tempting to be angry at them because of the way they've been treating Christians and they killed Jesus. It doesn't matter. God can graft them in again. Now, oh, let me say this. And even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, belief. That's faith. That's the bottom line, isn't it? The bottom line is whether you've got faith or not is whether you get into this, this cultivated olive tree. Now, let's talk about what does they mean, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief. Well, that's obviously, to me, he's referring to Jews who originally unbelieving, and then they do believe individual Jews. However, Jameson Fawcett and Brown denies that. He says, no, Paul is not referring to individual Jews. He's referring to Jews as a nation. Let me read his quote. That intelligent expositor should think that this was meant of individual Jews, reintroduced from time to time into the family of God on their believing on the Lord Jesus. Well, maybe I'm not an intelligent expositor, but that's exactly what I think he believes. And Jameson Foster Brown is now taking people like me to task. He says, it's surprising that people believe this. And yet those who deny the national recovery of Israel must, and do so, interpret them apostle. Well, let me stop right there. I don't necessarily deny the national recovery of Israel. I don't think the scripture says anything about it one way or the other. But just because you take an agnostic position on that momentous issue, that doesn't mean that you are denying the national recovery of Israel. It just means that Paul here is talking about the salvation of individual Jews, whether those individual Jews are part of a recovered nation of Israel or whether they're not, whether they're scattered through a diaspora is not mentioned here one way or the other. So I think that Jameson, Foster, and Brown are being a little bit extreme here, not being exactly fair toward those who say that, these, that Paul is referring here in this verse, verse 23, to individual Jews being grafted back in, Jameson, Foss and Brown are being unfair by saying that that belief that individual Jews are being referred to here automatically means that you're rejecting a national recovery for Israel. All right, so national recovery and individual belief is to confound the two things which the apostle carefully distinguishes. Individual Jews have been at all times admissible and have been admitted to the church through the gate of faith in the Lord Jesus. Amen. This is the remnant, even at this present time, according to the election of grace, of which the apostle in the first part of the chapter has cited himself as one. So, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown themselves, they even say that Paul is talking about in this chapter, the remnant, individual Jews. But then Jameson Fawcett Brown go on to say, but here he, Paul, manifestly speaks of something not then existing, but be, to be looked forward to as a great future event in the economy of God, the re-engrafting of the nation as such. When does it say that? Why do people say that all the time? I had this drilled into my head as a young Christian. And then when I start studying it, it's not there. There's nothing that says anything about the Jewish nation. It just says they are not going to remain in unbelief. That could be individual Jews not remaining in unbelief. That's like saying individual Mongolians are not going to remain in unbelief. Therefore, Mongolia is going to be reestablished as a nation at the end of time. And let me repeat this. Why would Paul, or oh, let me point this out. Why would Paul suddenly switch from individual believers in the remnant, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown mentioned, the remnant, let me let me quote from Jameson Fawcett and Brown, this same quotation, the remnant. Even at this present time, according to the election of grace, of which the apostle in the first part of the chapter had cited himself as at one. Well, even Jameson Fawcett and Brown admits that Paul at one time was talking about individual believers right there just a few verses earlier. So why is all of a sudden Paul going to switch from talking about individual Jews to a nation? The conversion of a na- Besides, nations don't get converted. Individuals get converted. Now, let's mention this idea about a bunch of Jews getting saved at the end of time. Where does that idea come from? It says, if they do not remain in unbelief, they will be grafted in. But notice that's an if. There's a condition there. That condition is a possibility, not a prophecy, as Steve Atkinson points out. So, if they do not remain in unbelief, they will be grafted in. But does it say they will remain, and they will not remain in unbelief, and a whole bunch of Jews are going to believe at the end? Well, not in this verse. The next audio, we're going to look at the partial hardening of Israel after the Gentiles come in, which implies that there's going to be a loosening of that partial hardening, and Jews will come in at the end after the Gentiles. So we'll talk about that when we get there. But this verse right here does not say anything about a mass of Jews coming in at the end of time. So let's go to verse 24. For if you were cut off from your native wild olive, that's you if you Gentiles, were cut off from your native wild olive and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. And what Paul is talking about here being against nature is you normally normally do not cut off a wild branch and put it into a cultivated tree. You cut off a cultivated branch and put it into a wild tree. So God did things, or not God, actually the the metaphor is backwards here. Paul is is giving a metaphor that, that goes against nature. And his point is, It's not natural for you Gentiles to be in here. So quit thinking that you're superior to the Jews. For if you were cut off from your native wild olive and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, i.e. the Jews, how much more will they be grafted into their own olive tree? So it's very easy to see how Jews can get converted and come back into the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God has Jewish roots. So don't think that they can't be saved and they're not going to be saved. Now here's a fine point of this metaphor talking about the believing, excuse me, the um, believing Jews being grafted back into their own olive tree. Someone, some people have said, well, you know, it's going to be difficult to take a broken branch and graft it back into where it was broken off. This men- this is mentioned by the NIV study Bible. To me, this is a petty objection The point of this verse is theological, not horticultural, as the NFV Study Bible says. And even if you talk about horticulture, you could say, yeah, they grafted back in, not at the place where they were broken off, but grafted back into the tree at another place. So the point is that the Jews belong historically and theologically to the parent tree, so as soon as they believe, they're going to be back into the kingdom along with us Gentiles, and we're going to all live happily ever after. Ladies and gentlemen, I have now finished with this section of Romans 11. We will start at verse 25, finish up chapter 11 in the next audio, and we will engage with that monumental theological difficulty. What does it mean when Paul says all Israel will be saved? See you next time. Hope you enjoyed this audio.